Hey everybody, it's Scott Powell here. On behalf of Father Peter Musset and myself, I want to thank you all for tuning in to the Word on the Hill podcast. Uh, and boy, oh boy, are you guys in luck this week. You get to listen to a classic episode, a recycled wonder, as we like to call them. Um, honestly, due to unforeseen circumstances, we are unable to get together to record a live episode this week, but we do have a classic episode for you guys to enjoy from a couple years ago. We will be back live next week, live and in person. Uh, until then, please keep us in your prayers. Feel free to reach out over email, find us on social media, and we love you guys. See you next time. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. This is the Word on the Hill podcast. We're the Lanky Guys. I am Scott Powell. No, you're not. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Father Peter Musset. And I am Scott Powell. And in, in, in case this is kind of your introduction or you've just been listening to this last week, the goal of our podcast is to find the coherence between the three readings. Hmm. Four. It's only been three years we've been doing the podcast. Four readings. <laughs> That's like your selling point of our podcast. I know. It makes it unique. I know. Because we consider the psalm a, a reading from a reading. scripture. Legit. So so it's the four of the four of the Sunday things. readings. Sun, Sunday. Sunday. And uh, so so we are super excited that you're you're participating with us in this adventure. Um because sometimes we're able to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we usually, well, I don't know if we do anything, but but the Lord in his great mercy somehow <laughs> speaks through us most weeks. And 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 this is the thing. Scott Powell always is like sitting up straight with good posture, and I'm always in a lounge chair. With your like, feet up. With my feet up, totally reclined. I feel like I have terrible posture right now. Oh, man. But you didn't tune in to hear about our posture. You tuned in to hear about the readings, or maybe you're here by accident looking for car talk. <laughs> Who knows? But regardless... Bom, bom, bom. It's the fifth Sunday of Lent, year B. Uh, we didn't talk about the fact that last Sunday was uh, was Rose Sunday. Oh, yeah. Dude, somebody came up to me at the end of the Mass, and they were like, I lost a bet. <laughs> what was the bet? The bet was that I was going to make a joke about me wearing oh. rose or pink. Like, somehow Father Brady did. And uh, Talked about his pink dress. Did he? Did <laughs> he? he? <laughs> but regardless, we are on the fifth Sunday of Lent, like you said. Our first reading is coming from the book of Jeremiah, which we haven't been in Jeremiah for a long time. No, we haven't. And I'm excited to kind of hang out with some Jeremiah today. Oh, Jeremiah's the best. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. Which uh, then that propels us directly into <laughs> Psalm 51, for some, and uh, which is the great psalm of repentance. Mm, and the miserere, miserere. Miserere. Uh, Missy Ray Ray, <laughs> dude. I knew a girl named Missy Ray Ray once. <laughs> dude, I didn't. Really I did, but stuff. you wish you knew a girl named Missy Ray Ray. Yeah. Okay, but we went to homecoming together. Yeah, she was always miserable. Oh, oh. that's a thinking. She joke. was super sad. It's a thinky joke today. Yeah, I know, isn't Good that? Job. Um, so 51. Psalm, Psalm fifty-one, um, verses three to four and twelve through fifteen, and I. I but the way that I'm looking at and then it, fourteen to fifteen. Don't shortchange our psalm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I just was saying it all together rather than strophing it out. Oh, okay. And then uh, which the response <laughs> is Psalm 51 verses 12a. Somebody somebody, <laughs> somebody wrote us either last week or the week before and said they were happy we didn't mention responsicles because they gave them up for Lent. Which <laughs> 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 just really delighted me Dude, that the, they used that joke, that terrible, terrible joke about the responsicles. That's so happy. I love that. Because <laughs> I, I gave them up for Lent. Oh, for Pete's sake. All right. Our second reading comes from the book of Hebrew. Hey, how does hey, Moses make his coffee? He brews it. We are actually drinking coffee today, too. You know why? Why? Because you brewed it. Oh. oh stupid. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. This is a shorty. 
Dude, I think the band No Effects <laughs> is Jewish. No. I don't know why. I just was, for some reason, the word Hebrew s- struck up in my mind like an old punk rock No Effects song. Okay. I don't know what it is, but there you go. If you guys like No Effects, then I guess that's whatever. My association with No Effects is stickers on the back of old Ford Tauruses. Mm. Doesn't that seem right? That sounds, dude, that sounds perfectly right. Yeah. I saw an article. <laughs> Okay, so our, our gospel is. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I edited it myself. Oh, just in, you're the in best. In my heart, yeah. In my heart <laughs> and my voice. Um, and their gospel is John twelve twenty to thirty three, y'all. It's a big jump in the gospel. We've been uh, kind of in the first part of the gospel, and then we jump all the way to close to the end. Yeah, which is actually pretty exciting. Um, and our our gospel acclamation is John twelve twenty six. Right, which we probably won't get into. Too no. Much. Okay, but thanks for making it clear that we're not going to address something of the liturgy. Oh, yes. Well, today we begin in Jeremiah. Jer. And he was a bullfrog. Oh, he was a good friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, Jeremiah. Man, you know, I never understood a single word that he said. (laughs) (laughs) But I helped him drink his wine. Yeah, hey. Okay. (laughs) Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. I love the book of Jeremiah, even though it's depressing. Dude, he's got a really tough task. He has to preach again. Our job. Preach against everybody. <laughs> and like he's got to do really weird prophetic actions. Here's the thing. He has to do weird prophetic actions. He has to preach against everybody. And he gets to see that it doesn't work and everyone dies and is slaughtered and the temple is <laughs> destroyed. Yay. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah, it's rough. Um, the passage that we have this week is said to be the high point, like the pinnacle of his prophecies. Oh, yeah. So Jeremiah, so we know a little bit about Jeremiah, right? He he is unique because he spans um, an interesting bridge in the Old Testament. He's the one, he's one of those who God sends, like you said, to go prophesy against Jerusalem, against the temple, and against the leadership, basically saying he's the one that Jesus quotes when Jesus in the gospel says, you have ma- made my house into a den of robbers. Yes. He's quoting Jeremiah, who said the same thing. Because what they've done, the, the people of Israel, who God shows to be the light to the rest of the world, to be the example, the, the small s sacrament, right, that the world is supposed to look to and say, oh, that's like God's kingdom. It's like God's kingship. Instead, they became this nationalistic, um, very big on themselves political entity, which actually shut out the foreign nations. So even though they were supposed to be a light to the world, they became... Um, cut off from the rest of the world and pushed the world out. And so Jeremiah says, look, you've made the temple into something God never wanted it to be. It was never supposed to be this big nationalistic symbol that showed how great you were and how much everybody else stunk. It was supposed to be the thing that led the world to the one true God. And you failed at that, and you've actually led people further away. Therefore, if you don't turn around, this thing's going to have to go because it's not doing what I wanted it to do. Right? Yep. Absolutely. And so this is this is uh, where we step in today is really the capstone of all these prophecies, because in the middle of all the things that Jeremiah says are about to happen, he also frequently will look forward past the punishment, which is to come and show how God will restore them after they've been punished. This is the this is the theme of all the prophets. Punishment always leads to restoration. God always punishes so he can restore, so he can build back up. It's never just because he's ticked off and angry. He wants to build his people back up. And that's what this reading is kind of all about. Yeah, well, because the destruction leads to detachment, actually. <laughs> so so it, it, it's it's like we read um, we read last week about uh, the, the, um, uh, the land needing Sabbaths. 
Oh yeah, that was to, last week. To right. re- restore the Sabbaths that it was lost. Right. So so it's like you yeah. look at the punishment that t- took place, and it was like they were attached to the land, they were attached to working, and so what do they get to do? They have actually have to detach from all of it. Yes. Well, you know what Jeremiah actually says a little bit later on? He says that really what's happening here is a direct reversal of the Exodus. So you can trace the whole story of the nation of Israel back to the Exodus when God set them free from slavery, gave them land, um, freed them from debt, you know, monetary debt to the, to the Egyptians. Remember the backbreaking work that they had and set them free from their slavery. They were slaves to the Egyptians. But because they were, and Jeremiah is pretty explicit about this, because, and, and the call was that they were supposed to be that to one another and to the rest of the world. They were supposed to free people from their enslavement, free people from their indebtedness, and actually be stewards of the land. They fail at all three of those. So Jeremiah says, because you didn't really understand what God did for you, you're going to go back into slavery, you're going to lose your land, and you're going to be indebted again. Oh. So it's a direct, you know, one-for-one one reversal of the Exodus story. And it's God saying, look, you didn't learn the lesson that this was meant to teach you, so we better teach it again, which is why they go into slavery and lose their land. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is interesting. So today we're, I mean, like Jeremiah 31, uh, we're dealing directly with a new covenant. Mm. And it's interesting because there's a certain sense of stacking covenants as we are going through the Old Testament. Is that like those Russian China dolls? Uh, Nesting (laughs) nesting dolls? Yeah, nested covenants. (laughs) Nested covenants. You mean, absolutely. And so, you know. It's a good image. I'm wondering. Well, no, it's a weird image, but it's true. When you hear this, it says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And we should read this it. really quick, just so people know what we're talking about. Just, okay. just a little piece of it. So he says, the days are coming, says the Lord. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. Days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Why? Partially because they've broken the old one, right? Yeah. And it will be not like the covenant I made with their fathers. By the way, kind of the shorthand in the New Testament, especially the prophets, when they talk about the old covenant, is almost always the covenant made in Deuteronomy. So the covenant made at the foot of Sinai in the Exodus, right? Which is what this whole story is pointing back to anyway. It won't be like that one, the day that I took them by the hand to lead them forth from the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant and I had to show myself their master, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they have need to teach their friends and relatives how to know the Lord. All from least to greatest shall know me, says the Lord, for I will forgive their evil doing and remember their sin no more. So just to catch us up on what we're talking about. So you were talking about the new covenant. Yeah, this 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 whole experience of, of saying there's something markedly, markedly different about the language that's being used here. Oh, yeah. That, that is, it's unprecedented in the rest of the Old Testament. Which... which a new covenant, not like extending the covenant, which is, which is, I think that that's actually a really like, as I'm reading it, that's my real question. It's like, I, because we can trace covenants, the covenant and the expressions of those covenants, the deepening, but a new covenant actually demands something different. What does it demand? What's the only, well, what does it demand? Well, this is the thing is, I mean, our typical uh, framework for uh, a contemporary understanding of covenant Mm -hmm. is exchange of persons. Correct. Not yeah. It's, it's as opposed to a contract, which is an exchange of goods yeah, and or money. services. Yeah, yeah, a goods and services and money. It's mm-hmm. just like that's I, why marriage is not a contract; it's a covenant because you're supposed to give yourselves entirely to one another. Yes, and so that's so, it's not a fifty-fifty. Like I do this much of the housework, you bring in this much income, and we'll be good. Whereas covenant now is really our our experience of covenant is a marriage. 
Or uh, those gated communities where you have to pay for people to shovel your snow. <laughs> the coveted communities. Dude, that's like super messed up, man. I, don't, I never it's totally, why they use that term. They should use contractual communities yeah. because it really is as a contract. It's not a, a covenant community. You can't paint your house pink. Oh, man. Do you know how much I hate that? <laughs> Not being able to paint your house pink? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Like if I want, if I if I get a wild hair and I feel like neon house is mine, you can do that here, though. I can. Or does there is there a historical laws that govern this house in this no, neighborhood? No, it's just like it's just like uh, the walls. Like there's certain walls that are 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 historical. There's declared historical mm. walls. You can't mess with them. This is boring, everyone. This is just I'm boring, interested. boring you. No, no, I'm I'm super. I'm I'm worried about everybody else. Okay, all of our friends. All of our friends. I'm trying to see them in this room, and they're all giving me that look. Especially our new friends. Come on, you guys. <laughs> they're like side. I don't like that look they're giving me. So the only real way to actually have a new covenant is to have the exchange of persons. We actually have to have death. Who, who has to die? One of the in members, order for a covenant to be broken. One of the members of the covenant. Uh huh. So, who is this first covenant? Well, who is this particular covenant between? God, Israel, and God. Man, humanity I think and God? You can ex- I think it's safe to say... All of the world? No. Israel, well, Israel and God for sure. Yeah, because the rest of the world is not bound by this covenant. They are bound by a different covenant, though. Um, the Remember no- the Noah we talked about a few weeks ago? Noah's Remember, covenant. all creation is bound. And that one never is actually rescinded. But this one in particular, this relationship between Israel and God. So who dies? Well, see, that's where we have to wait for our. Okay, should we hold off later. on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Who all right. dies? But but well, but before we go there, what, what this is the thing is, is the very last line is I think very significant. Mm. I will remember their sin no more. Mm. The, 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 there is a certain sense in which we live in a contemporary moment where we have individual sin. Yes. And we don't think about collective sin. Correct. Um, unless we start to talk about politics. And then we say the country's mm. going to, to poo poo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, is... I mean, it, like, <laughs> this is the thing is yesterday was um, St. Patty's Day. Oh, boy, was it. And, um, and uh, it's, in, in Boulder, we have a St. Patty's Day parade that starts about 8 a.m. with beer pong. And, Certainly in our neighborhood, it does. And, and, and then just, it just keeps going oh, all day long, this, the um, St. Patty's Day parade. It's not a traditional parade. No, not what you might think. Of. Well, Maybe it is what you think of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um but I just think of that and I think of, of collect the collectivity of mm. our land and mm. how there's a certain sense in which th- there's a universal experience of some things. Yes. Even uh, yeah. the, the participation, mm. not participation. And it just kind yeah. of brought me back back to this understanding so that they will all know me. So it, th- we have an individuality, huh. but then a collectivity, both in this experience of sin and the knowledge of God. Well, it's, it's interesting to me because it doesn't totally make clear who will know me. Just as this kind of ambiguous all. Well, For who is that? they shall all know me. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't make clear who the they is. I think the new, I think the uh, the gospel reading does. But it leaves it kind of ambiguous for you to kind of figure out. Is it all of Israel? Is it all the world? Is it, who, who is this that we're talking about? It, one thing I should note about this, because I thought it was fascinating. Okay. Just to show you the importance of this particular passage. This is the longest sequence of Old Testament passages to be quoted in the New Testament. It's the longest Old Testament quote that exists in the New Testament. Isn't in the it book of Hebrews? Hebrews 8? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Hebrews 8, 8. 
through 12. Which is so funny because our second reading is Hebrews 5. I know. It doesn't quite. <laughs> I'm like, why did. Well, well, of course, it would double it up. I started oh, to consider. I, I forgot the, the main thing I wanted to add to this conversation. Talk to I just me. forgot. Um, it's linguistic. And the. When. And this is common language. Whenever the Bible refers to covenant, and specifically here, when God says, I will make a new covenant, yes. the word for that the shows up there is berit. Which um, doesn't just mean make it literally. The most literal translation is to cut a covenant. Yeah, yeah, I was seeing that, see that in the original language. I was wondering every time you see that, though. Even back in Genesis, when Abraham is supposed to make a covenant, it says he cuts covenant. Why? Because a covenant in the Old Testament always involves the shedding of blood. It always involves the giving of life. Really? So remember in the first, uh, well, yeah, okay, I mean, let me, I, let I me. Mean, I could remember what's his buckets who had to cut all the, the, uh, Abraham, Abraham, he had to the, everything in half. Yeah. And then, and, and then, then later the, on he has to cut his own skin. Remember that was another mark of the covenant. Circumcision was the mark of the covenant. Oh. That's him also cutting covenant with God in a very real way. Oh. It, it usually, I, I think I said always, which is not fair to say. But in general, in the ancient world, covenants, so, I mean, even if you're a... a, a blood a, brothers. A blood brothers, but even if, look at politically, I mean, to take God out of the picture for a second, which you never want to do, but don't quote me on that, but, <laughs> I mean, if you look at the, um, if one nation, if Assyria was going to make an alliance with Egypt, they would sacrifice some animal or something like that to demonstrate the covenant that they're making between one nation and another. It usually involved cutting something or something dying or something being broken, right? Mm. Which is very important because when God says, the days are coming when I will cut a new covenant, it already gets you thinking that something's going to be broken. Mm. How do you make that covenant? Well, something is, something's broken somehow. Now, we don't, I, I was trying to think of an, an analogy in the, the marriage covenant, which we don't really have. We do have the idea of giving oneself and, um, the, yeah, yeah. Con I, uh, the conjugal expression. Yes. Yeah, I'm tempted to take that a step further, but I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. For those who have ears to hear. Yeah. So but anyway, just that's worth noting. In yes. this, it doesn't explain what that's going to look like. It doesn't say exactly who's going to be included, but God makes this clear. This is going to happen, and I will show you when it does. And again, he says, I'm going to write, you know, he's comparing it to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to write my law on their hearts, not on stone tablets. It's going to be this different experience, but there is going to be cut. It's going to be cut. Anyway, I just want that to be noted. Dude, duly noted. I think that's going to propel us forward. Um, this doesn't... in me are clean... God, oh God! No, no, man. You're just giving me the look. You've never given me that look on this I, podcast before. Cause I, cause I love that they nobody can see those the looks. <laughs> it's a that mean I get. look. No, I didn't even know. I was trying to like comprehend it and to like come back. You couldn't see my mouth. I was you were smiling. Like, what are you thinking? You I weren't smiling. Like, I wasn't smiling. You're What's right. wrong with you singing was, on the podcast. I, I was judging you in my. You heart. were not even in your heart. It was out loud. <laughs> judging me in your eyes. I judge you. Unreal. All right. Um, create me a clean heart, oh God. Do you not know that song? Have mercy on my God in your kindness, <laughs> in your compassion. Blot out my offense. See how Have politely I laughed at you right there? That's the proper response. Oh, is that the proper response? Yes. Polite laughter. Dude, you know, I have this problem. I don't laugh at other people's jokes a lot of times. And people get you really mad at me. You love my jokes all the time. 
Well, you're just very clear when you think something's funny. You don't politely laugh at anything. <laughs> if you think it's funny, you laugh. So that you, that's yeah, legit. You that think, is legit. You think I'm delightful. That's that's where I have a, a step up here. I do. I think you're really funny. Other people you just stare at. Or it's the worst feeling when I say something dumb and you just give me that stare. <laughs> oh, there's a few feelings worse than that. Oh, dude. It's I get that in my homilies all the time though, man. I do make you? I make A's A material and they just <laughs> people look at me. And then I have to tell them I'm like, I'm trying to be funny. And then they're like ah! <laughs> You're not really funny inside. <laughs> well, everybody likes good self-deprecation. That's true. So when you make fun of yourself and having not been funny, everyone laughs. Yeah, I, I said that earlier. I was like, either A, I'm not funny, mm. or B, something else. And I was like, can I choose B? Or A, or I don't even remember. Choose A. Well, choose B. Have, yeah, anyway. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, God. I think it's worth noting that in um, the Eastern rites of the church, I think we've pointed this out before. Stop it. In the Eastern rites of the church, right before the great entrance of the gifts that are going to be presented, the priest always speaks these words. And this, Psalm 51, is understood to be a psalm of David, right? Uh, after after he repented from Nathaniel's judgment, or right. Nathaniel's uh, prophetic um, sheep... <laughs> Sheep parable. Sheep parable. When Nathan points out what he's done, what had he done in a nutshell? Uh, he um, uh, had uh, a child with uh, a woman and then had his her husband killed. Yeah, murder and adulterer. So what every priest in the Eastern Rites, and I, to some degree you guys do this as well, I'm sure, but the, the idea is every priest is supposed to, before offering the gifts, supposed to speak the words of a murderer, a liar, and an adulterer. And actually take that on himself before offering the gifts on behalf of the people. Because he's, in Persona Christi, in a very real way, taking on the taking on that sin, confessing it to God, and then presenting the gifts back to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I ain't never heard that in my life. And I am, Well, like I said, the East, it's in the liturgy of St. Yeah, John Chrysostom and St. Basil the Great. I'm just totally, Basil. I just am totally floored by it, actually. Isn't that kind of like, cool, though? It's really, really powerful and beautiful and makes such a spiritual sense, actually. Doesn't it? And like, because, because of the profound configurement with Christ, because it's Christ who does it. Yes. And that's actually so beautiful. Well, yeah, yes and no, because what's interesting, and again, I'm thinking about Eastern Rites, and there, there's carryover, obviously, but the very next thing that happens in the Eastern Rite is the Sanctus. So they go straight into the Holy, 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 which, of course, is quoting what the angels are saying in Isaiah 6. Remember when Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God and realizes, holy cow, I'm not worthy to be here. So the idea is the priest, as he's about to enter into the throne room of God in a very real way, is supposed to acknowledge, look, I'm not worthy to be here. None of us are worthy to be here. Mm. Yet God will cleanse our lips. And then we speak the holy, 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 echoing what the, saint, what the angels say, because we've confessed this communal sin and we've entered into God's throne room. Wow. So what we're seeing is in this first reading, what, it's le- what the liturgy is leading us to is, okay, if you want to know what this new covenant is going to look like when God brings everybody into this and creates this new reality, the first step, so says the liturgical structure, is we have to ask God for this clean heart. Create me a clean heart because I am a mess. I am a murderer, an adulterer, a liar. I take all these things. Fix me so I can enter into this new covenant that you're leading me toward, that, that Jeremiah prophesied about. And that's actually what the structure of the liturgy is doing this week, is taking us step by step. So that whether we are conscious of it or not, we're all going to say these words on Sunday. Yeah. We're all going to speak this communal confession on the part of the Psalms as to who we really are right before what we enter into the throne room of God. 
and we participate in these sacred mysteries, which is kind of beautiful. It is. So boom. Dude, I, I wanted to take the mic off the stand and drop <laughs> and it. Drop it. Well, I should do that. I know, but it was just going to be on behalf. It was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that was really well done. Hey, that was funny. Absolutely. That was a thinking joke. <laughs> Dude, uh, <laughs> you can see what happens when I actually study really well. You ready for your mic drop? I'm, I'm ready for the rec drop. What now? What did you say? <laughs> I don't know. Ready for the, it was like Scooby Doo. It was ready like, for the rock rock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy I'm making you laugh so much. Yeah, dude. knowing that you don't laugh at anything that's not funny. <laughs> hey, man, this because it's you're, you're like you're you're knocking that out of the park. Boom. So we Hebrews, get, Hebrews, which uh, we are drinking good coffee today, not the best coffee. <laughs> well, it's Lent. Yeah, it after is, all, it is. We it's the penitential cup. I always wanted to name a coffee house the. <laughs> The penitential oh, cup. Stinks. And it, there'd be no the cream worst. or sugar or any oh, sweeteners. We can change our coffee shop that we're going to be opening just during Lent. It can be the penitential cup. The penitential we'll cup. To the penitential cup. Yeah. Um, so we're Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. Yep. Um, uh, well, I'm just going to read it super short. Yeah, do it. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears mm. to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Or reverential something or another. Mm. I, I, I like reverence better than <laughs> godly fear. But um, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now that is a short little narrative on something very specific from the Gospels. So oh. what are those first lines referring to? Because um, by, by using the term in those days, it's, it's bringing you back to a specific moment in time in history. Oh. So when was Jesus in the flesh offering prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears? Uh, the crucifixion. No. Passion? No. You're close. Don't know. When was he offering prayer with cries and tears? You do know. Um, I mean, uh, Mount of Olives? No. The garden. Yeah, the yeah, Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, which which somebody was just yelling at their, their <laughs> they're like the uh, their, at their at their iPhone. They're like, "Come on, Father!" <laughs> but it's so specific because remember he was offering supplication and prayer on behalf of his church when he prays his high priestly prayer. Please let them be one as you and I are one. And he mm-hmm. cries. He's te- he's sweating blood. It's this intense moment to the one he's praying it to Father. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And he was heard. Because he was, of his reverence, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So uh, this what is, is what do you think that means? Which son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Like that's one of those I things think, where, like, I understand it on occasion. Like every once in a while, like my heart grasps it. I think I could be totally wrong. I think that's a reference to his humanity, like a human son though he was. He actually had to learn obedience like any other human being. He, of course, he's he's like us in all things except sin. Yeah. And so as one like us, he actually had to learn obedience through suffering. I mean, this is the, the one of the theses, theses of Romans. Paul says we're made perfect through suffering. It's actually suffering that produces endurance and endurance produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. But we can only learn that obedience through suffering. I think this is saying through Jesus' humanity, he actually had to learn that. Not not that he didn't know or it was this thing that he couldn't access, but he had to go through the process because he made himself like us. So he suffered. He learned and was taught obedience through this process. 
Yeah, which and is the, it? I think that's my guess. That's my reading of this. Yeah, I'm I'm like grasping for it. I mean, I I think about the Latin word paciens, which means to suffer. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where we get the word patience. Mm-hmm. So, like suffering and patience are hand in hand, and patience, like this is the thing is is if we know the right thing to do, the right good, then we are willing to actually go for that right good. Yes. And and like we we choose the right and yeah. that, that and and there's a certain obedience to the truth of like when you discover something that's a real value, you're meant to live in accord with it. Talk to me, yes. man. You're, something's happening over there. Well, number one, I just discovered that guess who agrees with me? Saint who? Thomas Aquinas. Boom. He said the same thing, which I'm just seeing now. But I'm also seeing that um, at the very last line there. Yeah. Where is it? Oh, the second to last line when he was made perfect. Yes. Do you know what the Greek word is there? Uh, no, I didn't know if you had it pulled up in front of you. It's it's telio. It's it's telos. It's the the conjugation of telos. Oh, so um, not just being made perfect, but being brought to completion, conclusion. Right? Yeah. What is Christ telos? Well, in a very real way, it is to suffer and die on our behalf and be raised up again. So it's not that he's being made perfect in the sense of okay, you're great now and you've done nothing wrong. Is that he's being made to be brought to his conclusion what what his purpose was in this world does that make sense i I was just struck by that i hadn't seen that language before no i'm really i'm really struck with that because if if a mission accomplished is a good way to say that yeah yeah like like to be made perfect is to accomplish the right end yeah 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 that's really intense and how did he do that through his passion, death, resurrection, ascension back to the Father? Yes, which we call the New Covenant. Yes. By the way, covenant is the, when translated into Latin, is the word testamentum. So what Hebrews, uh, what Jeremiah was actually pointing us toward in Latin is the New Testament, not just New Covenant, because that's what the word covenant means. So where do you see a New Testament being cut in someone? It's this. Hebrews is describing it perfectly. Here is Jesus suffering, crying aloud with agony, um, no one was able to save him from death and his reverence and obedience through being cut in a very real way, which is what Jeremiah is pointing us toward. Yeah. I, mean, I know that's the punchline. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but Jeremiah just sums it up so nicely. He, he does. And so compact. I'm, I'm sorry, Hebrews sums he, it up so compactly. Well, and, and the, the obedience of faith is what so many God, uh, uh, spiritual writers are actually trying to draw us well, into. Well, you know, that's the bookend of the whole book of Romans. It begins with the term obedience of faith, and it ends with the term obedience of faith. All of Paul's theology is centered around obedience, or allegiance, you could say. Wow. Which is profound in this light. I pledge allegiance to my God. To Jesus. Amen. Well, let's get into some John, dude. So there were these Greeks, right, who came to worship at the Passover. Dude, they were geeks. They they liked technology is what it was. was. These I-nerds. These I came up to worship at the Passover. <laughs> a, a, a bunch of uh, Windows users. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Can you? I'm, I was trying to frame the gospel as maybe I'm reading like, too far into it. <laughs> the Greeks were like liked Apple, and then did you? See, you Israel. saw that no, article just, a long time know. ago I'm that Protestants joking. are like Mac or Protestants are like PCs and Catholics are like Apple. <laughs> no. Did you ever see that? No. Somebody actually went through and did a whole exposition on. It. <laughs> it's brilliant. I'll show you sometime. All right. Awesome. So we have. So we we have to remember that um, uh, as we're reading this, the context of John is um. That um, uh, didn't he just cleanse the temple? Uh, he just raised Lazarus. That's what it is. Yeah, 
Oh, the, oh no, Palm Sunday. This is actually yeah, the right, Palm, right. Palm, Palm Sunday is, is right after this. And so, uh, right after this. So he's just raised Lazarus. He's just raised somebody from the dead. And then he did the Palm Sunday, and now he's in Jerusalem. Correct. For the feast. Yeah, did, Palm Sunday just happened, right? Yeah, yeah, because, um, uh, yeah, that's uh, verse 14. Yeah, right, okay, of 11. Yeah. No, of 12. You have donkey. Yep, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm caught up. This is really a turning point. This is, a lot of scholars think this is the turning point of the entire book of John. Whoa. Why? It's because it's the first time, I believe, it's the first time, I might have to double check this, but I've already told however many of you. I believe it's the first time that non-Jews are described as coming to see Jesus. The, so this the is Greeks. the moment. What The Greeks, I mean, that's significant that John points that out because he keeps bringing up the Jews came to him and his disciples were there and this happened, that happened. This is the first time that these Greeks come to see Jesus, which is pointing us ahead to the worldwide mission that Jesus is going to do. But it's ultimately pointing us ahead. It's answering the question of Jeremiah, who are the they? Well, the they is really all. It really is everyone. It's literally all the nations. It's really literally all the nations, which, again, that's not new. It was what Israel was supposed to do in the first place. Well, and that's the prophecy of Zechariah. Exactly right. But, but in Jeremiah, it wasn't totally explicit. But John answers the question by saying, now the non-Jews are coming and they're flocking to him. That's the all. It's signaling to you. Um, and it, it's at this point, it's a couple, you know, a couple lines later, the Jesus says that his hour has come. And the hour is a huge theme for the whole book of John, right? The hour is the book it, of John. I mean, it, at the yeah. core. Yeah. And this is the first time that he says, this is it. Now is verse 31, right? Now the hour has come. Wait, well, hold on. Hold on. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. The hour, what? See, see, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yeah. So so John, when he uses the term glorified, mm-hmm. he's actually speaking of the crucifixion and death of Christ. Right. The hour of glory is the moment of Christ's death. Which is so counterintuitive to what yes. you think is glorified is, is glorious. Which which we have it in the liturgy. So we have a thing called the doxology. Right. Which is Doxa is the Greek word for glory. Yeah. So so it's the moment that we proclaim the glory of God through him with him and in him in the mm. unity of the Holy Spirit a glory and honor is yours almighty father forever and ever can you make everything into an ology yes podcastology podcastology doxology yeah anyway so what happens is is in the moment uh, the priest is holding up the sabor, the uh, the patten mm-hmm. um, with the bread that is now turned into the to the to the um, body of Christ why are you laughing at me let me Okay. I'm not laughing at you. And I'm, I'm making hand gestures, so this no, no, is it's, the... No, no, it's perfect. And, and then the chalice, but they're separated. So it's the moment, even to the point on where the deacon will hold the chalice and the priest will hold the paten, um, because it's the moment where the body and the blood have separated of oh. Jesus on the cross, and so we give him glory because it's the specific moment of Jesus offering his death. They're cut from one another. They're cut from one another. Oh my gosh! Your t- ooh, their covenant Boom. is cut in covenant your face. Is- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! God, it's <laughs> <in your> face. <laughs> That's gonna be the tagline on iTunes this week. Absolutely. And but then but then the next time we see an elevation is we see that the, the oh. host the host and the blood are reconnected and yes. the lamb is standing as though slain. There's because st- but it, but it's still cut. It's still right. Cut. It's the priest holds it together with two hands, but it's still cut down the middle. It's still yes. It's but it's been brought back, back uh, together. But it's not. It's not um, the the wound. That actual cut is not absent. 
the right. reunited, the glorified, the brought back together Eucharistic host still has its cut in it. Just like Jesus, when he rises again, glorious, he still has the marks from the nails. He still has the holes, mm. but he's still glorified because, again, what's the whole... What's the whole moral to this whole thing? We don't have a God who's going to just take all of our sufferings and everything else and say, you can forget about it. Wipe them away. Everything's great now. Yeah. He can take the cuts and the thorns and everything else and the holes and the marks and the baggage, and he glorifies it, just mm. like we actually literally see in the Eucharist. It is reunited, but not in a way that pretends this cut didn't happen. Right. It only reunited because it was cut for us, reunited in glory so that we can receive it. Mm. Golly. Golly! Which is the solution for sin collectively. Mm. Yeah. Individually. And 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 it actually mm. helps us to understand the what does it look like? What is the obedience of Christ? Mm. What what is he actually taking? And yeah. like he's 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 even obedient to the punishment of our sin. Wow. He's obedient and accepts the punishment of sin right. to himself and is broken by it. Right. Ooh. And, Ooh. And, and thus, that is how he is lifted up. It says at the very end, it says, he said this, um, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. All men. So now we're talking about the they, everybody, hmm. the whole of the kitten caboodle. And he said this, and then the death that he was going to be was to be lifted up. And then they start to freak out later right. on, right after that, about how they're like, well, hold on, we don't, we, don't under, <laughs> right, we right. don't understand this, but that's why we're talking. Because here here we, go, we come back to Jeremiah again, which is, yes. how does a covenant end Ooh. and a new one begin? Yeah. By death do us part. Right. And, and, death and Yeah, no, <laughs> right. I know. But it works. Yeah, but then, but then it's reunited, so, and it's like so complex, and it's so a mystery. so who dies? If the only way to break a covenant is the death of one of the parties, which party dies? Is it Israel or is it God? Yes. Ah! I, could, I know you. I know. I know. Your well, tricks, we've dog. talked about this before, I'm I sure. Know. But yeah. I, that's. I remember the first time, either that was taught to me or I realized I was like, holy snot! <laughs> because God becomes Israel. God becomes human, so that both because God is totality. Yes. It's not enough for God to have halfway. Yes. This covenant is obliterated. So a new one can rise in its place, one that will never be broken, that will never end, because it, it God is embodied in both. And this this is why th this is such an important thing for our Catholic faith, for our Christian faith, mm. is to be able to understand why did Jesus have to die? Yeah. Like if you can't answer that, there's something fundamental that's not understood. And this is why I think love this so beautifully is that we're meant to be married and yeah. and we're actually meant this is the thing is it goes one step further because oh. we're a, a, a approaching easter yeah is that circumcision is the cutting into our flesh um, of the covenant yes. but but now it's transferred into something different yes we're we're actually brought into the cutting of the covenant in jesus christ in his baptism in baptism ourselves right because baptism, as the scriptures make clear, is the new circumcision. The new circumcision, which is we've talked about in Jeremiah. I yeah. will write this, I and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Yeah, a circumcision made without hands. Yes. But, just like circumcision was literally cutting into something, so too baptism takes it leaps and bounds beyond that. Baptism doesn't feel like you're cut, doesn't feel like pain, 
But remember, baptism doesn't represent us just being washed. There is that. That imagery is there. We're being washed clean of sin. That's good. The imagery of baptism is that you're drowning. Yes. You drown in the water. And think about it. You're taken down into the water. I mean, imagine the old dunking baptisms, which I wish we did more of. Yeah. You're taken down into a symbol of drowning once in the name of the Father, then back up, then down again twice in the name of the Son, then back up, and then you're doused down to the symbol of drowning three times in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then you're brought up, and we're told that now you have put on Christ, you have been baptized, you are a new creation. Three times in the water, three days in the ground, three periods of death. You enter into Christ's passion, you enter into Christ's death, and you rise again as a new creation. That cut has been brought back together. But the sign remains, right? Yeah. So that's cool. So, so that's, that's, so kind, think that's about kind of that. significant. <laughs> well, think about that as we get closer to the Easter Vigil, which is the primary day when we baptize people and bring them into the church. Yep. Imagine what that's actually saying, what that actually means. It's not just a little, little bathing ritual. It is the symbol of going down into death three times, entering into Christ's death so that we can rise again with him. Yeah. That's neat. That is. I think that I should take the heads of the people who I'm baptizing and hold them underneath the water <laughs> until they start to struggle and then go and then You're do it speaking again. speaking this to a lot of people. I know. <laughs> You're going to be arrested. <laughs> no, oh, boy. No, because no, no, really. to, to make that sign real, man. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe we'll just teach them about it. <laughs> maybe just do it in the homily. Okay, there that we go. That might be a better way to. Okay. That's, oh, that's... boy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody... Um, uh, thank you for all of your love on social media mm. and for spending time with mm. us. You're the best. You're the best. And gosh, I have fun on the podcast. Today. I have fun every podcast, Father Peter. Dude, you do. You sound like, surprised. Man, I actually had fun today. No, well, that's because- I'm just kidding. I, I was a little surprised. <laughs> well, no, by, by grace, there was some really profound stuff we talked about today. This was a grace-filled podcast. Yep, and so- um, <coughs> Not because of us. Let's make that clear. T- tell your friends, um, you know, just- Press download a hundred times. It makes us feel really good inside. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Even if it's not true about yeah. how many people listen. It might be. It we might be. We, it's way better that way. And um, and we want to we want to exceed 50,000 downloads a week on this Boom. podcast. Bring it on, everybody. Bring it on. We'd love to hit million at some point, but I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. Probably not. <laughs> but we'll get as much as we can. So send yep. us an email. Find us on Facebook, Pinterest, apparently. Um, <laughs> wherever else you find us on social media, check out veraboom.com. We will be back next week. Check out the Denver Catholic. Check out the Denver Catholic. Check out. Um, uh, I was going to say JCPenney, but that was. Did, any, any other shout outs to me? No. no. We got to wrap it up, baby. Wrap it up. All right. We'll Bye. see you next week. Peace. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.